0: Hello and welcome to the faculty interview, covering the latest breakthroughs, research, news and insight delivered by the world's leading academic and industry figures. In this interview, Lisa Magnani analyzes the role of social finance as an example of financial innovation. By tracing the evolution of social finance since the early 1970s, Magnani offers insights to the underlying inequality of power between labor and finance. So social finance uh, is a uh, very interesting uh, um Initiatives, set of initiatives that probably uh, fall into the broad category of uh, finance innovation. Uh, so I started being interested in social finance in the context uh, of uh, um, my exploration of the link uh, um, in the relationships between finance and labor as broad categories uh, um, of investigation particularly in the context of labor markets and companies, firms, and uh, and these kind of things. Uh, It it kind of gained momentum uh, particularly after the global financial crisis uh, because it was clear the social finance was bound to become a really quite important subsector of the uh, broad uh, financial sector. Um, so, you know, with the social finances, uh, it's a little bit hard to tell what it is. It's extremely heterogeneous, but we tend to um, conglomerate in one category uh, called social finance, a series of uh, initiatives like microfinance, philanthropical finance, crowdfunding, social impact bonds, and many, many others. Uh, what was interesting to me uh, when I started looking at social finance from a critical perspective was the, um, the sort of the, the entrepreneurial spirit uh, with which many, many people were adopting social finance practices, but also the optimism and the, the really social uh, commitment to, uh, so, you know, so to speak, uh, do good while doing well, or uh, to, and I'm quoting here uh, real um, people who are um, working in the social finance sector, move the yardstick on pressing problems like poverty, safe homes, success in employment, and even climate change. Um, so I started looking at this um, uh, social finance with a critical eye, trying to understand better the um, the moves and the engine of expansion of social finance, where it was coming from. It became really clear that uh, social finance not only was, big, it was already quite big, we are talking about uh, billions of dollars in the U.S., in Canada, in the U.K., even in Australia, but was bound and projected to become much, much bigger in the next uh, decade or so. Uh, the other element that brought me to... Um, to this uh, field of research and to this particular paper that you're referring to is the fact that uh, the rise and the growth of social finance seem to be uh, quite connected the two the global financial crisis and to the crisis of trust that emerged as uh, the real effects and the you know, real people you know, effects on the real people um, of the global financial crisis were increasingly felt. It is an interesting evolution uh, because uh, uh, this is exactly the approach I've taken in in my study rather than simply looking at the uh, Post 2000 um, thousand success of social finance in terms of not only the, the value, the dollar value of the sector, but also the ability uh, and the willingness uh, to tackle extremely uh, concerning issues. You know, as I was saying, from unemployment, climate change, housing, poverty, and and the more. Uh, so I was particularly interested in answering the question. Where does social finance come from? And uh, so I took a sort of genealogical perspective and I went back to the 70s, as you mentioned, to start understanding where are uh, the social needs uh, uh, emerged and how they became so pressing that a, a social uh, finance could emerge as a leading sector in trying to tackle these social problems. Um, so it is important, in my view, to have this genealogical perspective to understand a little bit uh, that nothing is automatic, there is no nature or natural evolution of the financial sector but there are clear reasons why the social finance sector uh, really filled up a hole in the set of economic and social tools that we as society have to tackle important problems. Uh, so if I may uh, kind of uh, uh, lead you to uh, a key important moment uh, starting from the early 70s. Uh, we have uh, the end of the social wage, uh, with that, I mean uh, um, that we, we know now that uh, there was an extensive downward pressure of uh, uh, wages, particularly for the unskilled. So I'm referring to studies, uh, economic studies. They really looked at the wage distribution and focused uh, particularly on the wages for the most uh, uh, poor workers, the ones who earn the first decile of the wage distribution, so people who are often unskilled. For these people, um, the wages uh, are compared uh, to the median wage of the U.S. distribution, but we could uh, easily extend uh, these claims to U.K. or to Canada or to Australia or to many other OECD countries. Uh, These wages for the uh, most poor workers, uh, the the least uh, well-paid, the most unskilled, dropped uh, dramatically in real terms. So this is really the first uh, um, important item. The second item that I use uh, as evidence of the abandonment of the idea of the social wage, wage, the response... uh, to the need of labour as a productive um, input in a society and in production, but also its way productive needs. so the second element the, uh, the disappearance of the social wage, is evident in the gap between productivity and compensation, labor productivity and workers' compensation. It is really starting from the 70s that we see an emerging and widening gap between productivity and wages with productivity higher than wages uh, in the, the most uh, current uh, evidence of uh, wages that don't keep up with productivity is uh, the, the current debate on stagnant wages in Australia as well as in many other countries. The third element that... Uh, I use in reference to the 70s is the rising income inequality. Uh, we are talking about uh, Forbes annual compensation surveys for many years, and uh, uh, these data really reveal that starting from the 70s, we have this incredibly widening uh, income inequality, with uh, the the one percent, the famous one percent of the population, earning more and more. Uh, as opposed to a stagnant uh, uh, wage for the rest of the population, uh, we have many more elements uh, uh, to indicate that, that we have a, um, a drop in attention to the social wage to the social dimension of wage. We have households with increasing debts uh, with uh, uh, rising difficulty in meet mortgage uh, um, mortgage duties uh, um, starting exactly from A little bit later on, so we are talking about the 80s, the the rise in debt and the the, uh, declining savings opportunities for households. It's really phenomenal, the uh, hits in the 80s. And then we have another important item that tells us a little bit about the background elements that I'm trying to tie together in this analysis of the social finance. This last item is the increasing capital income for the top one or even 0.1% of the population. This is really starting particularly in the 70s. So capital income, income that comes from financial markets. So again, this is really many of these aspects have not been tied up to the phenomenon of financialization in the way that I believe we need to do in order to understand the rise of social finance. What I'm claiming is that starting from the 70s, we see more and more the reproductive needs of labor to be subjected to controlling algorithms similar to those applied to financial assets. So this is part of the financialization process. Um, what is clear is the first movement, this labor in finance, it's a, a complex set of legal, institutional, um, managerial changes that tend to um, really exacerbate the importance of financial imperatives at the level of companies and at the level of governments in the way they deal with labor needs, uh, both productive and reproductive needs. So this is really the moment I call labor in finance. Uh, um, Labor becomes a subject uh, to produce a strong financial sector. How do I claim this? Well, I I claim this uh, through a series of, uh, going back to a series of institutional legal changes that have occurred, uh, for example, in the U.S., uh, but the U.K. and, and Canada and Australia have similar um, evolution in different ways, but similar kind of evolution. So, for example, um, in the United States uh, in 1974, we have the uh, ERISA, which is the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, which was basically a way to permit the pension funds and insurance company. To um, invest a substantial proportion of their portfolio in corporate equities and other risky assets, what basically um, meant is that uh, pensioners and uh, workers were more and more exposed to the uh, rules of, the fin- of finance and to the rule of the financial sector. So this is the movement that I call labor in finance, so a way to boost the strength, the scope, the size, the wealth that is invested in the financial sectors. Um, the second moment is uh, the financing labor. So, again, uh, we, we have to wait, it will be later on, uh, for the finance sector to discover that it is exactly the people at the margin of the production system, exactly the poor, the unskilled, the unemployed, the homeless, uh, that become central to the accumulation of wealth for many different reasons. In, the, in my study, I go through the importance of understanding the so-called saving glut. So in abundance, in excess of savings, they were seeking investment. They were seeking opportunities to be used, so to speak. And at the same time, as I was saying, in the labor markets, There are increasingly concerning and emerging phenomena of the unskilled, being underpaid, often marginalized in the labor markets, becoming homeless. So these two movements, the rise of finance and the weakening of the social investment in labor in all these dimensions, is really the moment that I call financing labor. It's a moment where The role of social finance becomes big, becomes pregnant, becomes really poignant, and becomes a way to justify the role of finance to address social problems. The broad um, kind of conclusions that I draw out of my work are a series of concerns. Uh, the first uh, uh, set of concerns uh, stem from the ability of social finance uh, to play a role in rebuilding the trust uh, in the market economy, in the capitalist system, um, in, in the role of finance in general in our economy. Without really uh, going um, and, and tackling the deep causes of the, the social issues and struggles that we witness nowadays in many advanced societies, so that's uh, really the first concern. The second concern is that the what I call the hegemonic kind of uh, Philosophical uh, underpinning of social finance. So by hegemony, I'm really referring to the Gramscian notion of the term, which uh, combines the consent and uh, the role of coercion. So we need the consent and coercion for the creation of uh, hegemony. In this case, it's the hegemony of finance. So coercion comes from the reduction of labor to, of many groups uh, of, uh, in, uh, among the workers, uh, to the unskilled, to underpaid, to underemployed, to unable to meet uh, uh, their needs, uh, both in terms of production and reproduction in the current society. So, coercion, because we do have a, a number of people who are not free to uh, really participate uh, in our societies, but they need assistance, they need housing, they need training, they need education, they need the better wages consent because social finance develops and boosts the trust in the economy, particularly in the capitalist system, in the capitalist organization of finance, as a way to fulfill the social needs, to tackle these social problems. So I can see... What everything that social finance intends to do, as I said, social entrepreneurs are often driven by extreme goodwill, but I am concerned about the the combination of consent and coercion that appears to underpin the working of social finance. Um, there are other concerns, of course, uh, uh, particularly in uh, understanding whether social finance uh, truly gives us a uh, division of a different uh, finance, uh, a finance, finance and financial sector that truly is able to support the labor, to support workers, to support the uh, BIOs, uh, to support the mere life, uh, what is uh, uh, the glue that ties all of us together, the common features of our social enterprise uh, in society, in the economy, Um, and in cultural um, aspect as well. I am concerned about the ability of social finance to really question aspects of the the way um, traditional finance works. Uh, So, for example, it is evident that most investors in social finance still seek uh, market returns on their investment. It's only about a quarter of the respondents, um, prospective investors in social finance, who are willing to accept the below market rate returns from their investment. Um, and the majority of investors are really uh, seeking market return, which means that social finance is um, a way to uh, diversify a financial portfolio. Um, with all the kind of shortcomings that come from the, uh, this role of social financing in the context of private investments. One other concern is that there is, and in, real I'm quoting uh, the director of uh, the Mulago Foundation, which is uh, uh, one actor of uh, social finance around the world, and uh, uh, Kevin Starr, director of the Mulago Foundation, uh, claims that emphasizes that um, many times the organizations that create the most important impact in communities Rarely produce above a market return uh, for their investors. And one last concern that has been emphasized in the literature is that social finance may produce an effect of crowding out of other social enterprises non-profit and philanthropic markets. So there is a little bit of a competition in the field of social finance, uh, which again uh, is uh, driven by the same logical competition that um, scholars uh, such as Wendy Brown, for example, have uh, um, really talked about as the driver the driver as opposed to exchange uh, competition is the driver in neoliberal societies. So again, social finance is still driven by the same logical competition and with with important kind of features and important limitations, in my view, for their ability to tackle the social issues that they want, that the social finance wants uh, to address.